Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And I assure you that if I were to to speak on everything that John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, and then 14 to 18 reveals that I, I am not exaggerating. It would take us a week or more to speak on what is here, and I will try to condense that into a few minutes, and I trust that God, by His Spirit, will help us to understand the truth that is being revealed in this text. Would you join me in standing as we read the Word of God? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. And Father, grant to us understanding to your truth, not simply for our heads, but our hearts not simply for information, but for intimacy with the living God. I pray that you will help me to present your word in such a way by your spirit that it will be clear to everyone that there is a wonder to be kept in Christmas that if lost, everything is lost. So guide us now. Give us attentive hearts and minds to hear your word and to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of my favorite writers is G.K. Chesterton. And he, had a, he was a quick-minded man, could speak at anything in a moment, and he would bring it down to the place where that which was complex can soon become, if you please, not ordinary, but understandable. And I don't know whether G.K. Chesterton was responding to a question that was asked, but this is what he said. He said, Truth, of course, must be stranger than fiction. That is because of what we had made fictions to be to ourselves. Truth may be stranger than fiction. Of course, because we have made fiction to ourselves something that is more important 
than truth. But then someone else puts it this way. If it is too good to be true, chances are it isn't true. But I want to say this morning, the message that I have from this text is both good and true. It is not too good to be true. It is too good not to be true. And John writing this gospel, he is writing with the sense that he wants you and me. He couldn't see, if you please, 20 centuries after he wrote, but he knew, controlled by the Spirit to write what he was writing, that what he was about to say would have significance until Jesus Christ comes again. And in the 20th chapter of this book, coming to the end of the biography he's writing of Christ, he writes these words, and many other things did Jesus do, but these are written that by believing, you will have life in his name. He did many other things. John said, if I were to write everything that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough paper on which to write. But these are written that you might believe. So when we come at the beginning of this book, he is writing things that are believable and things that are necessary to be believed if we are to understand what this season is all about. And he begins by giving us what I call the exposure of the word. The exposure of the word. I, I, I stood in line at Safeway in West Salem a few days ago. And there were a lot of people ahead of me. So uh, I do what I sometimes do, not all the time. But I took advantage of reading some of those things that you find there. And I'm telling you, for the things that were revealed there, I am glad I don't have to worry about them. I mean, I don't even want to repeat some of them. I thought, where in the world do these people get these things from? When John is writing, he's not writing things that you scratch your head and say, come on now. What he's going to write to us, he's going to write and then he's going to give, give verification for them. He's going to, say, he's going to begin this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, now it, it almost seems like he doesn't know what to say. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does he mean? When we think of a Word, we think of someone speaking. When we think of a Word, we think of someone communicating. But we will see later on that he uses masculine terms for this word, word. So, so let's begin by understanding something. John begins by telling us, in the beginning, what beginning? As soon as you think of this word beginning, you begin to think of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning God created. And John says, in the beginning here. Now these are two different things that relate almost to the same thing. Let me tell you what I mean. 
In Genesis chapter 1, he's talking about the coming into existence of creation. In John chapter 1, he's talking about who brought them into existence. So when, when, when the beginning began, someone was there. The Word was there. The Word is not a part of creation. The Word stands beyond creation. Before there was a world, there was a Word. Keep that in mind. We'll see how this becomes apparent in a few minutes. So, the Word was not a created part of the world. He existed there. We were, we were told in a few minutes, all things were made by Him, so He was not made. He made all things. So we are told then that there was a time when there was no creation, but there was never a time when there was no Word. There was a time when you and I did not exist, but never a time when this Word did not exist. And so John is going to take us now and, and he's going to blow our minds by telling us something about what was happening prior to the very world or the earth as we know it. That there was existence. Uh, remember when I first became a Christian, I heard people saying, the reason God created us is because he was lonely and wanted someone to relate to. I thought, what nonsense. If God had need, uh, and by the way, well, I'll leave it alone. If God had needs, he wouldn't have to tell you or me. Psalm 50 makes it very clear that he owns everything. Nothing is outside of him that anyone can claim to be their own. Because everything we know, including ourselves, came into existence because he gave us existence. But nothing gave him existence. The Word was there in absoluteness. Before there was a world, we are going to get to know something of who was there before the world as we look at the world and see the creation of it. And so the Word existed. <laughs> as I gave Letha my outline, she said, what kind of a word is pre-mundanely? Well, it simply means pre, before, mundane, from the Latin, world. He existed before the world. So that simple statement, you know, in a real sense, when, when, when you look at Christmas, and you look in the manger, my friends, you're not looking at a created being. You're looking at a being that took upon himself another being, but not a created being. That's why we're told, unto us a child is born, but unto us a son is given. Because we will see later on that this word is the son, and he could never be born. He existed before there was time. But not only do we have the word existed premundanely, the word existed divinely. Listen to what John says again. In the beginning, when there was, when there was a, how, how everything started, he existed. Now he says, the Word 
was God. Here's the battleground for the Jehovah Witness and the Mormons. The word was God. The JW would say, no, no, there's an article missing. It should be a God. And if you know anything about the language here, that's impossible. Verse 3 is going to show that in a minute. The other believe that Jesus is a created angel, the highest of, of the angels. That's not true either. We'll see that in a minute. My friends, what John does three things with this verb. I, I want you to, to look at it with me. In the beginning was the word. John addresses the existence of the word. That little word was right there. Deals with the existence. He was there. Not, not that as a bystander, but he was the cause for anything having its beginning. Secondly, and the word was with God. There was a relationship between God and the word. And this little word was tells us what kind of rela- relationship there was. No angel has the kind of relationship with the father that the word has. Angels who get before the living God fall upon their faces, covering their faces, covering their feet, but the Son is in the bosom of the Father. The Son is able to look into the face of the Father without embarrassment. Adam ran from God. He couldn't stand the Holy Presence. There was no embarrassment between the Son and the Father because they were one. The word was with God. When God parted the heavens and spoke from heaven, he said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Never said that of any creature, not of you or me or anyone else. So the first was gives us his existence. The second was gives us his relationship. But but look at the third was, and the word was God. Before Jesus was called Jesus on earth, he was called Word in heaven. At this point, my friends, we are still in eternity. We are still outside of the creation. The Word was God. When Joseph was told about the coming of the Son that was being carried by Mary, when Jesus was in the bosom or in the womb of Mary, God said to Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife, for that which is in her is God. Emmanuel. God with us. So God the Father in heaven testified that something was happening in history that was going to defy all the the minds, all the thinking of the world, that God was able to fit himself through his son in the womb of a lowly girl called Mary. That is why I said we need to keep, we need to keep the the, the wonder of Christmas. You know, if, if you think, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking all my life, even when I was a young chap in Central America and in my, 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 my living in Canada, I always thought, 
every Christmas, now what would I like for Christmas? What, what am I going to get? And I used to say, get with a vengeance. What am I going to get? You know, this past week I was thinking of that. What, not, not get this time, it's what do I want? And this will make it easy for my wife. <laughs> what do I want for Christmas? Nothing. I don't have anything that I could say, I can't, w-. well, I guess I do have one. <laughs> my daughter told me what it will be, so I guess I'm looking forward to that. And it's going to be for us. See, they got me to buy a laptop. I've moved up into the world now. And, uh, and she said, now, Dad, don't buy a printer, because that's going to be your Christmas gift. So I guess I have one. But apart from that, friends, I don't, I don't, you know what, what fills my heart at this Christmas time more than what I'm going to get? Gratitude to God for coming into the world. And I'm going to tell you, that satisfies me. It's not that other things aren't important. Of course they are. We're going to look at our granddaughter and our grandson in Albany uh, next Sunday morning, and I'm going to hear those wonderful words again. Can't we open the gifts and then pray? (laughs) 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 But all friends, I want them to understand that that morning is not about what mom and dad and grandma and grandpa gave to them. It is what God gave to them. God with us. You shall call his name Emmanuel. How, how, can, you, how, can, you, how can you get around that word? In him, all the fullness of deity dwells. Jesus lacks nothing in himself that, it is, not, that is not divine. And, and we, we will try to put our minds around that and we will never be able to. This past week, Christopher Hitchings died. If you know anything of Christopher Hitchings, he, is, he has been an anti-God voice for the last 10 years. And Lois and I, on our way here yesterday, listened to a review that CBC had on his life. And it was quite interesting. But you see, the interesting thing to me, as Hitchings denied, described God as a big bully, saw God as the biggest hoax. I mean, it's interesting, you, you, you see him as a bully and then you see him as a hoax. As he did all that, have he, I don't know if he stopped to think, if God did not exist, he would have no existence. All things were made by him. We'll talk about a little bit about that tonight as well. And so we come, my friends, to this time of the year. And we need to, like Thomas, we need to look not simply in his hands and his feet and his side. We need to look into the manger and we need to say like Thomas, my Lord and my God. 
So there, we have the exposure of the word. But the question we have to ask ourselves, who is this word? I've already hinted. One of the great philosophers of past years lived around 50 B.C. He said, we know indeed that he exists, but beyond that, beyond that fact of his existence, we know nothing. We know that he exists, and beyond that factor, we know nothing. And my friends, if God had decided to make a world and then go back into, into eternity and leave us here on our own in this fallen state, it is true we could know nothing. And so for that reason we have verse 14. And the Word who existed from all time, from all eternity, with God in relationship, with God in deity, with God in creation, that Word became flesh or human. Human. If verse 14 did not happen, happen, we would have nothing to celebrate. The Word became flesh. A profound statement. It is profound, my friends, so profound that when you try to, to deal with it, there is no human words that one can put together. I was talking to one of the young ladies last night. Uh, I think it was Ellie, and I understand she's studying Latin, and I thought, oh, do I envy you. I, I, I am still pursuing. I'm going to learn Latin. Because you can say things in Latin that doesn't sound as in English. But when, when you think of the word became flesh, it is saying that the word became something it never was before. It is saying that the word assumes something that was not a part of itself, if you please. He was not a man in the sense of you and me before the word became flesh. We call this the incarnation. God becoming. Wesley sensed this, so he wrote, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. When we say that he became flesh, that the word became flesh, we're saying that the, the word left the immaterial state of divine being to assume a body, to confine himself like creatures within the limits of time and space. That is why, my friends, I, I love this. In Matthew 2.11, when the Magi's got to the place, by this time Christ was about a year and a half or two. I, I always chuckle, and I know what they mean, when, when we say that the Magi's went to the manger. They were never at the manger. Just in case you get excited about that. Jesus was now away from, from Bethlehem. He was back in Nazareth, if you please. But when the Magi's came, Matthew 2.11 says this, When they came to the house where Jesus was, they saw Joseph and Mary 
and they bow down and worship him. Not them. Not Mary. Not Joseph. Just the word in the manger. They bow down. Paul, later writing to Timothy, said, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. How do we explain that? We can't. It's not science. Science, you deal with things that are created. This is revelation. Listen to how it was done. When Mary asked the question, How shall this be, seeing I do not know a man? And I reminded you last week that Mary was the first one to question the incarnation. So Christopher Hitchings and Richard Dawkins, they have nothing over her at all. They just didn't say, oh yeah, God said it. That settles it because I believe it. No, whether you believe it or not, that settles it because God said it. Mary said, how will this be? And the angel came with the answer from God The Holy Spirit shall overshadow you, and the power of the highest will come upon you. Therefore, that holy child shall be called the Son of God. And later on, Jesus, being baptized, a voice from heaven cried, This is my Son. The incarnation is mystery divine. But my friends, it's mystery that invigorates life. It is mystery that keeps the wonder in life. Not only in December, but 12 months of the year. The psalmist David in Psalm 8, contemplating this mystery, said, When I consider the heavens, that is, he stops to think. He stops to imagine. He said, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers... What is man that you are mindful of him, of the son of man that you, you, you take a thought of him? God is not desperate for a relationship, my friends. God is desirous of sharing relationship. He's not desperate for it. Father, Son, and Spirit existed in loving relationship, in communion and communication long before there was a world, and he invites you and me to participate in that. The incarnation, the wonder of Christmas. But look at the individuals around the word. Look at verses 14 and 15. John again, remember now, John is an eyewitness now. And then he said this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacle among us. And we beheld, says the King James translation, or the later translations, we Beheld or we saw. We saw. When they said we beheld his glory, the word for beheld is a Greek word which talks about investigating. It is a word which speaks about perception, to observe closely, to watch with intensity, not to bypass anything. And the disciples scrutinized Jesus And John said, we spent one night with him and the next day we were able to go out and we could say to Peter who was not with us at the time, we have found the Messiah. 
He answers to all of the passion of the human heart for someone to come into the world to do something about the darkness. John is going to answer to that. John said, we saw it, we were there. That which was from the beginning, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have touched with our hands of the word of life, it was manifested to us. I don't know what it must have been like to be there, but I can tell you something. I remember when we were in Israel and we, we got off the plane in Tel Aviv and we started to make our way to Jerusalem. And I will never forget more than once, but one of my assignments was that I was supposed to read the scriptures on top the summit of the Mount of Transfiguration. And so there we were, Lois and myself and 34 other people. And all of a sudden, my mind just, just raced ahead of time what it must have been like for the Son of God to be standing on earth because I knew what it was like for a Son of God to be standing where He stood. It was almost a holy moment. He was incarnate. The Word stood here. The Son of God stood here. And I am standing here. Great is the mystery of godliness. John said we were eyewitnesses. We're not telling you some fancy tale about Santa Claus. Better be careful here. Those are wonderful things, friends. But don't put him across the word, above the word. Because it is, it is he who gives meaning to the time, not the others. We saw his glory. Moses asked God in the 34th chapter of Exodus, show us your glory. And God said, no one can see my glory and live. And John said, he came like one of us and we saw his glory by the things he did, by the things he said, by the way he, he, he lived, by the way he prayed. We saw his glory. And it was the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John the Baptist. John the Baptist was another individual around the word. Listen to what he says. And John bore witness. He said, this is he of whom I said he existed before I did. I love that. Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist before Mary was pregnant with Jesus. And yet he could say Jesus existed before I did. You know what he's talking about, friends? The Word in eternity. The Word was there. And when he came, the Spirit said to me, This is he of whom I said. What a wonderful privilege to be identified with the Word to the place where you're able to identify him. But what's the intention? What's the intention of the Word? Verse 18. Why did he come? What was behind what he was doing? And we read this. No man has seen God at any time. 
Now, all that people saw in the Old Testament were, were the, the technical word is Christophanies. That is, expressions of God, light, cloud, thickness. When Isaiah said, I saw the Lord, he saw the, the Lord by way of what the angel said. Holy, holy, holy. He saw remnants. He saw the backside. He saw the goodness of God, but he never saw the face of God. No one when, when, when sin entered the world, the first thing that the first human did was to flee in the opposite direction. And so God penetrated where we were by the person of his son, the word. And we read this. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him or declared him. When Jesus came, Jesus came to expose what God was like, for without the coming of Jesus, we would never know that God was full of grace and truth. Adolf Hitler said in his training of young people, he said, if nature can be, if nature can be destructive to other human beings, why couldn't I? You will never know what God is like by nature, friends. There must be a, a personal exposure. And when Philip asked the Lord Jesus, show us the Father, and he said to him, almost with a voice that was, was somewhat in pain, he said, Philip, have I been so long with you and you have not yet seen the Father? For if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. That's the intention of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact representation of his nature. If you want to know what God is like, get to know the word, the son of God, Jesus Christ. The hymn writer puts it this way. Thou art the everlasting word, the father's only son. God manifestly seen and heard and heaven's beloved one. In thee most perfectly expressed, the Father's glory shine, a full deity possess, eternally divine, worthy, O Lamb of God, art thou, that every one should bow. Why did he come? He comes so that you and I would get to know God. He's the one who introduced the Father to us. He's the one who opened the Father's secret to us. He's the one who showed the Father's design for us. He's the one who showed us what kind of a God we're serving. He must have been a wonderful God, for in his life he said, For God so loved the world. How can we, how can we best understand this, Father? No human eloquence can do justice to the words of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Do help us, however, Lord, 
to keep this wonder in Christmas so that those, Lord, that we work with, those we live with, as they see us and as they hear us at this Christmas time, will have the keen, the keen sense that there is something about this season that means much more to us than life itself. And that is because we know that the Word has become our Savior. Help us like the, the Magi's to bow down and worship Him. Let's respond by singing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And please stand with me as we do. Our Father, oh, help us to understand something of this wonder of the manger or in the manger. Help us not to leave this place as we came, having been confronted by the God of glory. Release us from this place with a new sense of what Christmas means. That we are a part, Lord, of something that began in eternity past and will continue to eternity future. So dismiss us now, Father, with a, with, a, with a keener sense 
of who the Word was, what the Word did. Bring us back tonight, Lord, in your will to continue the celebration as we hear tonight about the light and life that was in the Word. So we thank you for the privilege of, of sitting under your Word, not under a man, under your Word this morning. And may, Father, what the Word says to us, we do. And bring glory to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.